Hello, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series in which we interview KPMG leadership and subject matter experts, as well as third-party and client executives and thought leaders on key global business, socioeconomic, and geopolitical market trends and topics. My name is Stan Lapique, the lead market research and thought leadership effort for the KPMG Global Management Consulting Practice, and I'm your host for this podcast series. And I'm pleased to have with us here today is Stephen Hill. Stephen's part of the executive leadership of the U.S. firm. He's a principal and heads up innovation efforts for KPMG, so clearly someone we want to talk to in this series of podcasts where we're looking at top trends and predictions for 2019 and beyond. So, Steve, thank you for your time here today on Advice Worth Keeping. Steve, we were chatting a bit before. I think you hit upon several key points around the characteristics of the 21st century enterprise, what it really means to be a frontier firm, how organizations need to be aggressive about being a frontier firm, how they approach the adoption and exploitation of some of the technologies today needs to be very holistic and very aggressive. And there's a lot of great technologies out there, but it's not just about the technology, it's about the strategy and the operations to exploit them. Maybe to start out for our listeners, what's the 21st century organization look at? And in particular, amongst those organizations, what are the characteristics of a frontier firm? So if I'm an executive listening to this, what do I really want to be embodying in terms of frontier firm 21st century organization? I think this is a very interesting topic and very timely because I believe we're really at an inflection point across all industries that we haven't seen since the last industrial revolution. And many people coin what's going on today, the fourth industrial revolution, et cetera, whatever you want to call it. The short story is you've got a significant gap between companies that, quote, get it and companies that don't get it. And if you take a look at the marketplace and competitors across multiple industries in multiple countries, the top 10% of those companies we're referring to as the frontier in terms of their level of productivity, total factor of productivity, which is all the outputs divided by the inputs. It's pretty stunning what we're seeing. And I'll explain what some of the impetus for this surprise is. One, and then I'll tell you what the 21st century enterprise attributes are that people need to be and companies and C-level officers need to be thinking about. We recently completed a study that looked at the total factor of productivity of over 15,000 firms, as I said, across industries, across countries. And it's different from many other analyses that have been done prior in that we've taken the analysis down to the firm level, not just the market level. And we found that the overall growth revenue for the 1,500 firms at the top 10% that we call Frontier, their revenue growth was more than twice as fast as the revenue growth of the 90% or followers. And we found that those leaders created enormous economic value as compared to those bottom 90%. In fact, the size of the value that they could create, if demand were in place to consume it, if you raise the level of the followers to the productivity levels of the frontier firms, you would add an additional $4 trillion value add on a global basis each year on average, which is a staggering number. And there are differences between services and manufacturing. The gaps between the two are a little bit different. The gap between frontier and followers increased about 14% 14% from 2008 to 2016 for services and about 9% in manufacturing. So we see in the services group, 
a larger divergence between those that are leading and those that are following. I think it's certainly interesting data at an individual firm level. It's certainly an impetus to start looking at your business differently, which gets to my next point, which is what is a 21st century enterprise? What are the four key areas that need to be addressed? When you think about this as an inflection point, and you think about the technology shiny lures that people get attracted to, you start to realize pretty quickly that a lot of C-level officers believe this is a technology problem or opportunity, depending on whether the glass is half full or empty. And my counsel is that's the first mistake, because nine times out of 10, if you look at it as a technology opportunity or challenge, you miss the point. We see this in data. We just, most recent survey with CEOs, in fact, I just saw some data from other third parties, economic intelligence of the Financial Times did some work around this and show that over 86 or 87% of companies today are planning to increase their level of spend in digital technologies. And a lot of them are positioning in with technologists per se. The fact of the matter is this inflection point is only going to be rewarding for those companies that take a strategic perspective, a business perspective, and a holistic enterprise perspective to change. They'll have to look at four what we call pillars and all of these things enabled by technology. The first is how they address their customers. There is no question customer service has been the focus of many, many years. The reality is that the dynamics of the customers and for most of our clients are changing as fast as ever. The preferences and the ways that our customers want to be served are as dynamic as ever. And the agility required to service customers appropriately in the new 21st century are going to be as agile as they've ever needed to be. And so I think having a focus on customer and understanding the customer of the future and how you serve customers of the future in a very low friction way is extremely important and has to be part of that business strategy before you start buying bits and bytes. Another area is the workforce. Both customers and workforce relate to people. And I think that those organizations that are looking at the workforce in new ways and looking at new ways to provision support for their growth and their service of customers, whether it's contingent workforce or workforce for free or their amalgamations of networking or community that they can build to sponsor, promote, advance, service their mission, I think is important. And there's so much dynamicism going on here and how you take care of your workforce. That whole workforce notion, the workforce of the future is super important to put into that strategy as well. The third pillar relates to the notion that so many organizations have been people-centric for so long, and that's the nature of assets and the value of assets in the organization. Most consulting firms many years ago would say that their asset base went home every night, and that's true. Most professional services firms are people-based and very people-sensitive. The reality is, is the value associated with a lot of these frontier firms are more and more being associated with intangibles, and data probably is the most popular category of intangible talked about today. And whether it's an Amazon conversation or a platform business model, data and the movement of data will create businesses and create growth and opportunities that have really never been seen quite to the level they've been seen today. And then the last pillar is how you scale your business. How do you evolve your business over time? In all of these things we've talked about, there is an as-a-service component to structuring that doesn't require you to organically build in the four walls. That as-a-service notion is extremely important because it allows you to scale up or down very dynamically without a whole lot of disruption internally in general cases. But that as-a-service notion, whether it be to procure additional capacity or to procure additional access to channel or whatever it is, 
is an important aspect of a business strategy that says we're going to move from organic builds and four-wall investments to those investments that allow us to be agile and scale up and down very quickly. And so your ecosystem that you develop as an organization going forward really is the net net strategy you need to get to because that as a service matrix, which in many cases will be across functions, in some cases it'll be across capabilities that go horizontal to those functions, these as a service partnerships and relationships will be inextricably linked to your ability to be agile and to be successful. And some of those relationships will carry with you a long time. Some of them may be very sensitive, be fragile, may not last, may have different agendas over time. That strategy, you call an ecosystem and how you manage it over time is extremely important. So as a service, another critical pillar. All four of those things get you to a 21st century enterprise approach. And it's a business conversation. Before you buy your first bit and bite, understand that it's a journey and that the technology has to support strategies in those four areas. Steve, given everything you've just described, it would seem that the transition today is going to be more rapid and profound than other transitions we've seen more recently in technology-driven transformation, such as with e-commerce or enterprise resource planning, for example, but even going back to some of the other more major shifts in terms of earlier stages of the Industrial Revolution, it would seem that the risk today, if you're not a leader, is significant. So perhaps the fast follower model might not be good enough. Would you agree with that, that you really do need to be a leader? You do need to be one of the 10 or 15% that are 21st century frontier firm, or you really risk your demise. And if you do agree with that point, do you think the executives you're dealing with have the sense of urgency that they are recognizing this? Well, first of all, I do agree with that. I think that there are a lot of technologies that create such the opportunity for productivity and improvement or competitive advantage in such a compressed time frame that not being ultra fast as a follower, if you could be that smart, would be a dangerous place to be in. I like to think that the future is already here. It's just not very well distributed. So how do you know what to follow fast? It's almost a little bit of a fallacy, which is if you think that you have absolutely the best market intelligence in the world, a fast follower strategy probably is pretty smart. You know what to follow and what not to. You learn from the mistakes of others. The reality is the times that we're in now don't really allow for a whole lot of laying back and being lazy and waiting. We see cross-sector competition and disintermediation happening in all kinds of places. And data, by the way, is helping to dethrone a lot of incumbents in some of these industries, whether it's energy, healthcare, or food, or automotive. And what we see really lends itself to understanding that the future of investments relative to capabilities in an organization are going to be characterized by smart failure, and nothing is perfect. So you could consider almost every project that you endeavor to be imperfect in some way, shape, or form. So there is some failure element in every success. And learning from those failures, understanding and having leadership that appreciates those little mistakes that you make as you experiment and know what's best for your culture at your time in your life cycle of business is, I think, where you need to be. So I agree with your statement, one. Secondly, I would say that it's imperative that understanding the need to experiment as a part of investment is critical. And experimentation should be very pragmatic. So it shouldn't be R&D per se, but it should be places where you are testing and have the ability to pivot on those tests so that you can make it correct. You know, the Wright brothers took over 100 attempts before they got 100 feet off the ground. You can't think that a well-funded, well-planned out 
program necessarily results in the win. General Langley was given $50,000 by the War Department in the United States to figure flight out while the Wright brothers were experimenting in the Carolinas. At the end of the day, Langley didn't get to flight first, the Wright brothers' day. So at the end of the day, some of the traditional ways that we have operated our business have to be rethought when you're thinking about innovating the business. And that's part of this strategic imperative and part of this strategic discussion around how do you become 21st century enabled is what capabilities do you need in the organization going forward in the C-suite that you haven't had so strong before? I'd argue that innovation, real innovation, not the Nerf balls and the ping pong tables and all the ideation stuff. I'm talking about real ideas to cash, real disintermediation of the status quo. That muscle has to be exercised or built to allow an organization to be agile enough to survive. I think the dynamics of change, to your point in your question, are a serious consideration for most C-suites to reconcile today. Well, Steve, obviously some very great points, and I think a call to action to all of our listeners or for our listeners out there that are members of the Frontier Firm, some strong affirmation of the approach they're taking. And I particularly like the idea of smart failures and real innovation versus just creating a pseudo-innovative environment. So, Steve, great insights. Thank you very much for your time here today on Advice Worth Keeping. You bet. My pleasure. And you can find the links to the items you referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash US slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation. 